0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door
1: with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's Talkin' Buffalo podcast, a milestone three-year anniversary edition of Talking Buffalo podcast. I'm gonna be joined by esteemed sports writer and one of the most genuine, nicest people in this business, Tyler Dunn. And it's fitting that this pod turns three today because it's been nearly three years since I've had Ty on the show. So we got a ton to catch up on, including a lot going on in his personal life and his professional life, most notably starting a subscription-based newsletter called Go Long with Tyler Dunn that is quite literally essential reading for NFL fans. He also has a new podcast that shares the same name. It features Jim Monis and several guests. We'll talk about that and much more including, by the way, me getting off on one of Tyler's most recent podcast guests, my least favorite Buffalo Bill of all time, Dante Whitner. I'll have that for you in just a minute. Before that, though, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by our friends at 26 Shirts. So you guys know to deal with 26 Shirts. They roll out a brand new Buffalo theme design shirt every two weeks. It's tied into a specific charitable cause and they sell that shirt for 26 bucks. Here's the really cool part about what they do. Most of you know, but some of you don't. So I'm going to tell you now, for every single shirt sold, a donation is made to that specific affiliated cause every single time. So every time you buy one of those shirts, it's going to a good cause. Since opening up their doors back in 2013, 26 Shirts has now managed to raise and donate over a million bucks. One million dollars. It's just Unbelievable, man. Dell Reed, that crew, they do such an amazing job. They enrich the lives of so many people and causes. It's awesome to see. And by the way, I say this all the time. These are really outstanding looking design shirts. They're comfy as hell. They're sporty to wear. They look awesome on you. I got a bunch of them myself. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. And on that note, let's do it. It is a pleasure, as always, to come to you today. Welcome, boys and girls, to a third year anniversary edition of Talkin' Buffalo Podcast. I am very very pleased and humbled to still be doing this podcast three years later, and it's a nice rush today, just like it was three years ago on this very date when I launched the first episode of this podcast, which by the way, it was called Analytics Podcast back then, and I still remember it kind of like it was yesterday. I had Sal Capaccio from WGR on as my first ever guest, and from there, I was off and running. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't have any expectations whatsoever when I started this podcast. Actually, I did have one, or actually it wasn't even an expectation, but a goal. And that was simply to meet and to talk to as many interesting people as I could, whether it be the world of sports, the world of news, the world of entertainment, didn't matter. I just wanted to meet and talk to interesting people. And I'd love to sit here today and tell you three years later that it's all been easy and always fun and games. Because it's not. It's not always easy doing a podcast. If you have one out there, if you do a podcast, you probably know what I'm talking about. And that especially holds too if you if uh if you do multiple episodes per week. You got to make some sacrifices. It's part of the gig, sacrificing your time, some other stuff. You know, doing a podcast takes a lot of time, a lot of time to plan, time to record, time to edit, time to put some show notes together, time to put it up on social media, time to promote, time to do research for the next one. So you miss out on some stuff for sure, because you do a podcast multiple times a week, especially, you know, and also, you know, sometimes just things don't always go as planned with the show. Uh, Sometimes you get a guest. And they have to reschedule or they cancel late and it kind of leaves you hanging, leaves you scrambling a little bit. Sometimes you do an episode and you don't like it. it, just doesn't meet the standards that you set for yourself. Or conversely, sometimes you put a show together and you really like it, you love it, you put it out there and it just doesn't do that well. So, the way it goes though, you know, it's not always perfect. And there's certainly times, I'm not going to lie, now and then that. I've questioned myself a little bit, thinking, is it all worth it? But it is, because I'll tell you this right now, I wouldn't trade these past three years for anything, and I mean that. I have gotten a chance over these last couple of years to chop it up with some of the very best to do it. I'm not going to sit here, I'm not going to name drop a bunch of people, because if I do that, I'll forget others, and that's not right. If you're a regular listener to the show, you already know a lot of the names, And if you don't, just head on over to Podcast Directory, and you can see for yourself. I take a lot of pride in the guests that I've had on through this point, whether it's from a local, and by local I mean Buffalo, or from a a national perspective. I've had plenty on from both. In fact, I'll take it a step further. I'll put the guests that have been on Talk Buffalo Podcast up against most shows out there, and I'll feel damn good about it too. Uh, It's been fun you know, I've developed relationships. I've made a lot of friends. Hopefully I've earned some fans who listen and enjoy this podcast throughout the process, which I'm very eager and very excited to continue on here with. In fact, you know what? I'm not going to talk about it right now today, but soon enough, I'm going to have some really exciting upcoming changes to announce in regards to myself and in regards to Talking Buffalo Podcast. But That's for another time. As for today, I wanted to make sure, again, this being a third year anniversary episode, I wanted to make sure that I came correct and had a high quality guest. For me, that made getting Tyler Dunn booked for this specific episode a very easy choice. Now, I've had Tyler on the show, but I've only had him on once. And that was all the way back episode number six, March of 2018. So nearly three years ago. But I've had a relationship with Ty that dates back like 15 years when we both blogged at scout.com. Of course, Tyler went on to very, very big things. And by the way, I also happen to know his wife Gina pretty well too. She is an awesome lady. I love her as well. Anyway, so much has changed in Ty's life over these last three years both professionally and personally, since, again, I had him on in March of 2018, and I am very, very excited to talk about some of that today with him. So, without further ado, let's just get right at it. Here it is, my chat with literally one of the great storytelling sports writers in all the land, my man, Tyler Dunn. All right, my special guest today is not just someone I consider a buddy, but he's long been one of the best NFL feature writers in the business. He's covered football locally. He's been a feature writer nationally, and now he has his own self-publishing venture. Go along with Tyler Dunn, not to mention a really, really good and unique podcast with the same name. It's the third year anniversary episode. I had to get my man Tyler Dunn on. How you doing, Ty? What's going on? Good, sir? Doing great, Pat.
0: And man, I feel old when, when you said this was the three-year anniversary. I honestly, I know we say this all the time in life, right? But it does feel like yesterday that we were talking like your first week at the, at the podcast. So congratulations to you on all the success and, and man, it's great
1: to be back. I'll tell you what, I went back this week and listened to our episode, which was episode six. It was all the way back in March of <sighs> 2018, and I cringe a little bit. You have a podcast, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes here. I'm telling you now, Ty, if you do 50, 70, 100 of them, I think you're going to go back to your first 10 to 15 (laughs) of them and cringe yourself. Little things, whether it's sound quality, you know, little mistakes here and there. (laughs) I went back, and at the time, so I was doing it in a, a bedroom at the time, and I was hearing like little background noises and I kind of overcompensated. I had like this noise gate tool for editing and I had it on so tight because I was worried about breathing or I was worried about a fan noise or air conditioning noise that it cut off so many syllables of mine. Like I would have a sentence and near the end, it would just completely cut it off. and just sounded <laughs> absolutely horrible. But you know, like to think I've grown from those early mistakes. I'm sure you feel the same way down the road when, uh, you know, when your podcast is out there, uh, for a while, but anyway, so again, when I went back and I listened to that, I'm like, you know, so much has happened in your life. Actually, you know what? Let's say it this way, Ty, not that much has happened in your life since we last talked with these exceptions, you got <laughs> married, you have a daughter, you have another child coming late this summer. Uh, you're no longer at Bleacher Report. Uh, you started your own subscription-based newsletter. Again, Go Long with Tyler Dunn. You have your own podcast, Go Long. Co-hosted by a former Buffalo Bills uh, director, Jim Monis. Uh, you know, often features Doug Whaley. I, I've seen a charting, by the way, on Apple. So congratulations on that. But anyway, besides that, besides getting married, having a couple of kids, having a new career, kind of boring. Nothing's changed, right? <laughs>
0: You know what? And there's one more. I, I remember when we talked last pacing around my apartment at the hammocks in Orchard Park. So we, yeah. we have a house too, so we can throw that in there. But uh, yeah, man, it's been a, just a while. just talking to Gina, my wife about it, who you know well, obviously it's, it's crazy how fast life change. I know it's one of those things you hear you know, people say that life just moves fast and you'll blink and something's over, but it, it, it's the truth, and it's it's been unbelievable. I got so psyched about baby number two—we're having a boy. Um, in July, so that will be great. And yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't be more psyched about you know everything that happened job wise. It was like never, never sad, never down, never out when when Bleacherport moved away from words. It was an opportunity to create something on my own. And, and honestly, it it probably been in the back of my head um, since college, it's something I've always really wanted to do. So, um, it's been a hell of a lot of fun.
1: You you mentioned your wife, Gina, for everyone out there listening, I've known Gina for a while separately, actually before. Yeah. And Ty got together and she's a great person too, a great fit for you. So yeah, I couldn't be more happy for you. And you live out near like, kind of like the Boston area, correct?
0: Yep. You got it. We're in, um, (laughs) Boston, like I guess you could call it South Boston, right? North Boston, South Boston is as, as big as Boston is. <laughs> Boston, New York, for people who don't know your your listeners outside of here, but uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's kind of like um, the end of a call to sack, surrounded by some woods. Get some deer, you know, running through the yard, and got Ed running through the yard, our dog. So it's perfect, perfect area. I grew up down in uh, Ellikville, Salamaca area. Uh, Gina grew up in East Aurora, so. You know, it's kind of our own little middle spot, you know, so we can kind of reach both families um, when we want to.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, you mentioned Bleacher Report. And again, without jumping into too many details that may be private to you, uh, Bleacher Report basically shut down its NFL long form sports writing arm just before last NFL season started. And everything is obviously worked out for you. Like, what was your mindset at the time? You kind of mentioned that this was already in the back of your mind. And it feels like essentially, you you wanted the opportunity to to bet on yourself, right? No doubt, Pat. I mean,
0: I think growing up, you know, even to go bigger picture uh, beyond sports journalism, because obviously in sports journalism, I mean, whether you're at BR, ESPN, SI, I mean, wherever you are, any newspaper in the country, your head better be on a swivel because things could change at any given moment. That's just the nature. Of the beast, as they say in The Godfather, this is the business we've chosen, right? So yeah, you just right? kind of know what you're getting into. Um, so I mean, yeah, I think the heads on the swivel there, and you know, you have to be proactive and react and, and all that good stuff. But bigger picture, you know, I grew up, um, you know, with with two parents who were very entrepreneurial. Uh, my mom was a graphic designer and had her own business, and then my dad, uh, he was a petroleum geologist. And uh, broke away and formed his own company, Plateau Energy. And it was, so, so I mean, I kind of grew up with that and I saw it firsthand and, you know, I saw my dad really, really risk everything. You know, he, he really bet on himself and that, you know, that first well was, was going to produce and that he did the research, he did the legwork and he knew like, okay, this, this is gonna, this work I'm putting in, is it's going to pay off. And, um, you know, he had three kids. Like, I can't imagine what's going through his head when he's breaking away and forming his own company, you know, the price of oil was not what it is. It was, you know, even a few years later. Um, sure. But it, it worked out and he was able to, both of my parents, um, they never missed a school function. They never missed a game. I mean, we played football, basketball, ran track. I mean, they're at every single thing. So um, to kind of see that firsthand, you know, when you are in control, you're running the show, you know, if you want to stay up till 2 a.m. working on something, you can. If you want to catch that basketball game, you can. You can you can be a, a loving husband and a loving father, and 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 still grind and and, and hustle and, and bet on yourself. So I, I think that that definitely is kind of woven into who I am. And you know, my sister, uh, she started her own gym down in Great Valley as well. So, and and my brother, he who knows what happens down the road, but he's um he's actually a scout uh, for the Buffalo Sabers. So, um highly hmm. successful himself and um. Yeah. I mean, I I guess, I guess long, long winded way of answering like, yeah, it's kind of always just been, you know, a nugget in the back of my brain that I might do this at some point.
1: What do you feel like are some of the advantages of going the route that you're going now, whether not just even business, but also just creatively for yourself?
0: It's, it's, it's liberating in a lot of ways. It's fun. You know, I mean, I always took pride in everything I did. Don't don't get me wrong. It's just you know, when it's your ass. I mean, I love that feeling that it, if it succeeds, it succeeds. If it doesn't, it doesn't, and it's on it's on you. You know, I mean, you're you're doing the same kind of stuff. Pat. I mean, I, I love that element of just working in America. I mean, that's the American dream to try to build something that people want to take time to read to, to to spend their precious minutes in a day. Um, scrolling through, uh, so I think that I, I love that pressure. It's never been a dread. It's never been a concern, a worry, a panic, any of that. It's 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 legitimately exhilarating every morning to wake up and I mean I'm kind of doing what I've always done, you know. I, I want the mm-hmm. I want Go Long's uh, foundation to really be journalism and long form and conversations that I'm having with people all around the league. So it's, it's that concept, but now I'm, I'm just doing more of it, and I'm, I'm my own boss, and it's like, you, can, you know, it's not nerve-wracking. It's it's, it's it's really fun to try to create something that is going to be worthwhile for people. And, um, you know, I, I think that earlier in my career, I probably wouldn't have been able to kind of take this plunge, you know, whether I was in Green Bay covering the Packers at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, the, the Bills at the Buffalo News, even early on at Bleach Report. It kind of took, you know, those four and a half years in Wisconsin – the time in Buffalo, and then another, what, four or five years at Bleach Report to build up relationships and confidence and contacts all around the league where, you know, I think a decade plus at it's like, all right, now now I can just try to cover the league as a whole through a long form lens because I've got this Rolodex of people that I can kind of tap into, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And I'll tell you what too, for listeners out there who may not already know much or anything about it? Tell some fans about go long and specifically, you know, what you're doing and what they can expect when they become a subscriber.
0: No doubt. I mean, it's it's definitely twofold. So this it, we're on Substack, um, which is kind of the preeminent newsletter publication uh, platform. Um, there's some, some other really great people on there, and I, I hadn't even heard of them uh, when I started go longer or, or when I was let go by BR. But I. People told me about Substack. I did my research and I really believe that their model um, for journalism is what's going to last long term because everybody kind of lives on their email, right? So I do have a website at golongtd, my um, But really, I think most people read my stories right in their email inbox. So you can sign up for free um, or you can subscribe. So when you sign up for free, you, you, know, you plug in your email and you get all the stories I post for free. So you might get some features, some profiles, some Q&As and whatnot. But when you do subscribe, it's everything. It's all of that, plus the columns and the analysis and the discussion threads, which have been really great. It's just kind of an ongoing conversation throughout the day with subscribers on an issue I'll kind of pose or a question I'll put out there. And you also get um, access to the Zoom happy hours, which have just been a riot. So every Friday night at six, unless we have to change it up. Um, just fire up zoom with subscribers and we'll have a special guest on every week, throw some beers back, tell some stories. You mentioned Doug Whaley, Jim Monas and our podcast. They've been going on these zoom happy hours too. And they're telling, they're telling stories that, I mean, they're great. They're really open on the podcast. Don't get me wrong, but it's kind of like an off the record type of environment where they're really saying anything. And uh, I'll definitely get some players on their current and former players on those to try to bring fans as close, uh, to the game as possible so yeah i think when you subscribe you kind of get that community aspect to go along that i'm shooting for we're going to have live events through the spring and summer do stuff with hamburg brewing company the brewery in town that i've kind of partnered with um and, and obviously you get all the stories and they're right in your email so i would just absolutely love it hey I mean give us a shot uh with the free email list if you'd like or just jump right in with a subscription and it's seven a month 70 a year a couple 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 cups of coffee a month right
1: yeah, for sure. I, you know what? I think you're out of the game a little bit uh, when it comes to stuff like this. I feel like in the coming months or maybe years, and of course, we'll see, but I think you're going to start to see other people who are well-known and well-liked, which, by the way, that matters too. Yeah, you know, I'm not, not to toot your horn here, T, but you're a well-liked guy. You know what I mean? You're an popular you. guy. You're, you're well-liked. You're You don't have enemies, not just in the business, but I'm talking about the fans too, the fans very much like you. And I think that matters. But anyway, my point was, I think you're going to see more people who do have good reputations, who've done good work for a long time, who are well-liked by fans and trusted by fans. That's That stuff's important. Um, maybe they're in an organization, whether it's a, something big, mainstream TV, whatever it may be, that I think you're going to start to see down the road, more people betting on themselves, kind of like you're doing right now and. Doing their own thing. I, 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 it just seems like it's something that's going to uh, be a big part of the future in sports media. It's just a hunch that I have, anyway. I hope you're right. I mean, I definitely agree. (laughs) I think that
0: that's where that's where it's headed. And it's like, yeah, you can sit around. No, I've had some people reach out to me and you know refer to this as um, as a risk. And you know, a couple people in the business saying, you know, I could never just take this kind of a gamble, this kind of risk. And to me, the the bigger risk is being somewhere with a company, a corporation, a news organization, and, and not knowing what the hell they're going to do day to day. I mean, their vision could yeah. cut on a dime. I mean, they could pivot to video, the dreaded pivot to video. They could decide that they want to get out of words. They could decide that they want to get into hot takes. I mean, at least, not. I mean, I'm. It's not just betting on yourself. You're, you're building something that you believe, you truly believe in, and I really do. I mean, and I, I don't want to, you know, sit around and bash Twitter because Twitter's been definitely a huge tool for me to reach out to a lot of people to try to build this thing up. So there is a lot of good to it, but I mean, Pat, you're on there. It's it's so much of it is just gifs and takes and bullshit and just this and that. It's like, sure. I mean, that's kind of what a lot of the business has become. It's like something happens everybody just has to kind of react instantly with a take. And, and that's kind of the end of it where I, I definitely want to try to lead people to, to go along and like, all right, well, let's think about this a little bit. Like, let's, let's tell a story. Look, it, it's only going to take 15, 20 minutes to read this three or 4,000 word story when, you know, you might piss that away on Twitter, you know, six, seven times over during the course of a day. So it's long form. And I think that sometimes people, they look at a long story and it's like, Oh my God, but when you really just sit down and read it it's you know a fraction of the time that most people kind of spend wasting away on a social media app so that's kind of the niche i'm shooting for is to kind of zag away from all that zigging and and just where god where where a lot of the business seems to be going cuz i mean that that can be demoral. I, I mean you see it it's like so much of it is just trying to be the cool kid in the hallway at high school and and mock this person or mock that person and You know, if you don't believe this, then you're not, you're not part of the cool group. You're, you know, I don't know. To me, I don't, I feel like that's not how sports should be.
1: You're absolutely right. And you just described Twitter to a T and people who spend all their time on Twitter. Sure. You might get instant news and you get the hot takes and you get the opportunity to go tweet at you or an athlete or someone like that. You get your, whatever, your 280 characters, but it does people who pretty much exclusively around there. It makes people who do what you do and guys like Tim Graham who do it so well. It's almost like a, a lost form if you're just spending all your time on Twitter and not actually reading legitimate good uh, sports journalism. And you also talked about the risk of staying at a company. I mean, you weren't there at the time. You had moved on the Bleacher report already, but you were at the Buffalo News and you live in Western New York. And I talked about having you on the podcast back in 2018 in March maybe I don't know a week or two after that literally a couple weeks after that who would have thought at that time a lot of your friends and a lot of your colleagues guys like Tim Graham and Jerry Sullivan and Bucky Gleason and that's just off the top John Vogel some of these other guys at the Buffalo News they were all gone in a matter of a couple months they changed ways they did business you know Jerry still to this day bitter about getting his column taken away. At least that's his side of the story anyway. But point being, as you described it, perfect. Things change. So there is also a risk, like you talked about, of sticking around in one place too long or just having whatever company you work for just completely change the way they do business and kind of leaving you out high and dry. So that's a really good point. It, it, yeah, things do
0: change. And that's interesting. I I I definitely have friends there still that do a, that do a really fantastic job. And a lot of those people you sure. just mentioned I'm friends with that. I mean, it's, um, it, yeah, it's, it, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I definitely try to read the, read everything that I can all the time. And I, I, it's interesting. I mean, they've kind of gone with this, uh, pay model themselves. I think it has kind of evolved and but sometimes it is a hard wall. Sometimes it's a softer wall, but, that that newsletter concept, whether it's the Buffalo news or other newspapers kind of around the country. Um, I think that to an extent you're seeing a lot of people kind of ad- adapt that, that mode of thinking, you know, that, that looking at the business through that lens, um, as well. But, but yeah, you just, I mean, wherever you are, it's like, you just, you don't know what's going to happen anywhere. So it's, I, I don't think what I'm doing really is is that revolutionary (laughs) because I think that by at the end of the day, I feel like most all people probably are going to have to create their own thing if they want to stay in this business. I mean, I don't want to use his name. There's there, I'm really good friends with, um, somebody who doesn't have a job in sports media right now. And it's the biggest crock of shit that he doesn't have. I'm sorry, Pat. I've just been swearing left and right. Uh, oh, gee, this is a, this
1: is a square-friendly podcast. Oh, good, good,
0: good, good. I mean, it is. I mean, this guy—it's—he's unbelievably talented. Um, he's produced some unbelievable long-form stories, and the fact that he isn't employed somewhere right now is—it's a crime, in my opinion. I just can't—I can't wrap my head around it. He's not alone. There's more people like him too. So it's like, okay, you know, you can you can sit around and and wait for something to change, or you can just kind of do your own thing and take that, take that plunge. So I think that's where we're going.
1: And the other thing that you're doing, which is something frankly near and dear to my heart, and that's podcasting, of course. Now, this isn't the first time you've had a podcast. You did a podcast with Tim many years ago when you guys were, I believe you were both at the Buffalo News at the time. What was it called again? God, I've listened to it a million times. I remember listening to many of your episodes. I feel like you guys might've tipped back more than just a couple of (laughs) some, some of the tapings that you guys had. But anyway, I remember that very well. That was well long before I started this podcast. And frankly, it was kind of before podcasts really blew up like they have now. But anyway. Done with Graham. Done with Graham, man. There it is. Done with Graham. I could The title was just escaping me for some reason. I loved that show, you and Tim Graham.
0: Oh, Um, we we did too. We probably loved it a little too much sometimes, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Now, I love this podcast that you do now. And I'm not just saying that. I I really mean it because here's the deal. I feel like the key ingredient to having a podcast that's successful is to offer something different that you're not going to get anywhere else. Like there's a lot of great, Buffalo bills podcast out there. There really is, but there's a lot of them, you know, and I'm getting content and interviews on yours right now that are just different. Now, obviously again, when you're in a very crowded podcast field that matters for an example, and I'm going to, a couple of these guys, I want to talk about specifically in a minute, but you've already had, um, Therese Paler, which again, we'll talk about him in a second. Yeah. Dante, Dante Wittner. I'm talking about him, obviously, in a second. Um, but <laughs> you've had Lee Evans on your show. I don't hear Lee Evans much on any Buffalo airwaves. Um, you've had Eric Moulds. I don't hear much from him outside. Again, the WGR occasional radio hit. I rarely hear from him. Um, Doug Whaley is a very big part of your podcast. And, of course, you got G- Jim Onis, who's worked literally worked for the Buffalo Bills. So your podcast First of all, it's not just Buffalo Bills. It's also about the NFL, but it is definitely unique. And I don't like to throw that term around loosely unique because everybody tries to say they're unique, but the reality is, is that we're not. But for those reasons, I just mentioned like the guests you have and the people involved with your show, it really is a a unique podcast and it's something different that the Buffalo Bills fans not really going to get anywhere else.
0: Well, you are blowing far, far too much smoke up my ass, Pat. So well, thank that's you for true that smoke. Though. It is true. I appreciate it's that. It's legitimately true. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I, You know, that's, I mean, I think you just nailed it. It's. It can be difficult to, you know, kind of carve that niche in the podcast space. I mean, just think of yourself as a consumer. I mean, I, I pull up my podcast app and I mean, I've got Adam Corolla and I've got, you know, the athletic football show and I've got. Um, ours on there, you know' making sure we sound all right here or there that sound quality you mentioned and I've got about you know four or five six different ones on there. It's impossible to listen to everything every episode of every show. you know what I mean like it's just absolutely it's not realistic. so um that that definitely is something that you know we're gonna have to keep at the forefront of our minds but the hopefully our niche will will be um providing fans with stories that they just haven't heard before. I mean, you know, as even with uh, Jim Monas and Doug Whaley coming on, I mean, two guys that you know ran an NFL team and, and worked for Super Bowl champions before that, Doug with Pittsburgh, Jim with New Orleans. We don't want to get too caught up in the X's and O's. You know, there, I feel like there's a lot of shows that kind of break down matchups and why this team is going to be that team. The the genesis for it really was me and Jim at Resurgence Brewery downtown Buffalo, talking about how. His old boss Terry Pagula loved Patrick Mahomes when nobody else did, and how close the Bills were to drafting Mahomes. Like, I was talking to him for that story, and Next thing you know, we're we're both about you know five beers deep. I think we had three orders of uh, deep fried pickles come through. We just kept ordering.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's not an exaggeration either. <laughs> we, we were going to become pickles. I think it's it, at some point. Um, but Jim brought it up. He's like, man, you know, we should just we should do a podcast. Like we, he's like, he's like, can you imagine if we just had a a microphone running here and people heard all this stuff? So. Um, I mean, I think some people have kind of heard the stories from those five, six hours we were hanging out that day already. They'll, they'll definitely be more to come. But I just, it, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's conversational. It's just us sitting around drinking beers, telling stories. And you know, I've got stories from reporting and on the road, getting to know players around the league. Jim obviously has stories for days. Um, he's, you know, he's a phenomenal human being. Number one, like, and I hope that comes through. I mean, he is. The nicest person I feel like anybody could ever meet. Just unbelievable temperament, unbelievably friendly, genuinely cares about people, um, but unbelievably bright. I mean, I'll take Jim Monis as long as I can get him because he should be running an NFL team yesterday. I mean, the guy is so sharp. And, look, I mean, he'd be the first to say, you know, he's had some hits, he's had some misses, said had a hell of a lot more hits than misses, and he just is at the cutting edge for team building today. So, That's my pitch for Jim, even though I don't want to lose him, you know, to teams out there. Uh, And as long as I have him, we're going to be co-hosts, and it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun.
1: Well, let me say this: you only get like the uh, one chance to make that first impression. So that first episode, which was in early December, it was about Patrick Mahomes, the Bills, and the 2017 draft. In fact, that's literally the title, which is a very sensitive topic for Bills fans because. Of Mahomes. So anyway, and I want to say this too, so you're talking about this in hindsight is not accurate because you were talking about Patrick Mahomes and Bagula wanting him back in 2018. In fact, in March of 2018 on this podcast, you said literally as much on my show. And mind you, at the time, I'm going to point this out for everybody listening. Patrick Mahomes had started exactly one game a regular season finale. So this was before his MVP 2018 season or before becoming a Super Bowl champion in 2019. In fact, you're not going to remember this because you've probably done a million <laughs> podcasts or in a million stories. But anyway, I got the clip. So check this out because not only did you talk about Mahomes, but also I asked you, the question was, I wanted you to give me a bold Buffalo Bills um, off-season prediction, which you were right on that too. But For you and for everyone listening, here's that clip from March of 2018. Give me something now. Bills related, big, bold prediction for 2018.
2: I love it. All right. Just to piggyback off of your great point there on whether you stay put and you keep, you know, adding to your core or kind of mortgage that core for a quarterback. I think the prediction would be that they do the latter, that they move up, they get a quarterback. I don't know if it's Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, but it's going to be one of those top four or five guys. I think that they're going to be decisive for a change because they have the ammo and because look, they know Trey white's great. Maybe he should have been the defensive rookie of the year, but you missed out on Patrick Mahomes. There are people in that building who really, really liked Patrick Mahomes. That's they're going to be point. keeping an eye on him for the rest of his career. I don't think they're going to want to make that mistake. Again, they know how important the quarterback position is. And from the very on top, all the way down, they've been studying this current um, group of quarterbacks in this class incredibly closely, maybe closer than than any other team behind the scenes. So I I think that they're going to take advantage. I don't know which player it is, but I say they move up and they draft a quarterback high.
1: So you got the quarterback drafting them high correctly they were aggressive on that but more importantly for the purpose of this conversation it's not like after the fact after Mahomes became <laughs> one of the greatest players to come along in many many years you were talking about that back in 2018 when he had all of one start so you were saying that back even in the day <laughs> that there were people in that building that wanted Patrick Mahomes so my point is that first episode that you did wasn't just well in in, in, journal, in journalism like with blogging, it's about getting clicks. This would be something to try to bait people to listen because it was legitimate. There were people in the building and you were, you've you been saying this for years, not just on your podcast a couple months ago. Man,
0: well, thanks for making me look smart there too, Pat. But yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Yo, hold on, Ty,
1: before anything else too, I also, by the way, Jay Skursky is one of my good friends. I love Jay. Oh, he's He's a great sports writer. But I'm gonna call him out. I'm gonna embarrass him a little bit. So I got your prediction, and you talked about trading up. Literally, the very episode before I had Jay on; it was the fifth episode. I asked him the same question. You want to know what he told me? Oh, His bold prediction was AJ McCarron was going to make the Pro Bowl. <laughs> oh no, Jay! Jay. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. I love you, buddy, but you were off the mark on the, on that <laughs> one for sure. But anyway, yeah, with Mahomes, I mean, it was. It's been something yeah. that you've known about, and some, some other people, obviously as well. And Jim talked about it at length on the podcast. Point being is that really that reeled me in right away to your show. That very first episode, you brought something unique and different to the table, and it was really good. And I did feel like you've been off and running since then. Thanks
0: so much for that. I mean, that's definitely going to be the goal. You know, I'm going to try to, to to dig and dig and dig for stories that you know we haven't heard before, and I think that maybe, and I, obviously, I had kind of heard, you know, a little birdie or two back then when we talked. Um, that that, uh, <laughs> that Patrick Mahomes had some fans in the building, and especially at the very top. Um, but I I, I want to do these kinds of stories where it's like, you know, got to hopefully make people kind of stop what they're doing during the course of a day and. And whether it's on their phone, a laptop, or whatever, and, and just learn and read and learn and, and hopefully learn a little bit more because they – they all, I mean, and Jim always says this too, the fans deserve it. You know, they, they deserve to kind of know um, the story behind what they see on Sundays. It's, it's the number one sport in America. And it's going to be for the rest of our lifetime. There's just so much out there. I mean, let's go beyond the dang Zoom press conference where everybody's sitting around – referring to Sean McDermott as coach, you know, not, not to pick on anybody. I mean, you see that in every team's press conference, but like, let's, let's go beyond the surface level. Like, let's try to find something. It's a little deeper. Um, So hopefully, you know, I'll be able to keep finding stuff like that because man, that, that is fascinating. And as much as I think there's that inclination, if you're a Bills fan to think, Oh my God, hindsight's 2020. Well, yeah. Hindsight is 2020. But the owner of the team loved the best player in the sport before anybody even had him on the radar. I mean, it's wild, Pat. I mean, you go back, you look at Kuyper McShay and Mayock. I think was at NFL Network at the time. Yeah, I had Mahomes as like the fourth or fifth quarterback. You know, a day two, day three pick. It's like no, nobody, no, nobody thought thought it when Terry Pagula thought it in as early as October of Mahomes last year at Tech. So. It's fascinating, but you know what's more fascinating is the fact that he didn't pull an Al Davis and a Jerry Jones and and try to intrude on what Sean McDermott was building. I mean, you can make the case that look, they they had to kind of let this coach be that one voice and completely reconstruct the franchise in his image. So if as the owner, I mean you I don't think he wanted to that to be the first draft and the first move. I mean, by then McDermott did have the power. He had the final say. And I, I, Waley Monas, they'll, they'll take the blame. They, they should have done something about Mahomes then. But, I mean, it was McDermott who did, didn't want to look his players in the eye and say, we just drafted a quarterback at 10 overall. Like, we're really not trying to win this year. And it, considering how shitty things were with Rex Ryan in every possible way, things can be shitty for a franchise. I, I think big picture that, yeah, I think I think I think Terry can sleep at night, but – Maybe he can sleep at night because he saw Tampa Bay beat Kansas City in the Super Bowl too.: yeah. I tell you <laughs> it would be a little tougher the- if, if Mahomes just completely you know went off again. The,
1: the most fascinating part to me is that it was Terry Bagula of everyone in that building, all these smart football people, that it was Terry that really liked him yeah. um, the most. Another guest that you had on, on a much sadder note, and I wanted to, for you to hit on. was' Therese Paler. An absolutely brilliant NFL writer. Now, you had him on your podcast on February 3rd, and tragically, he passed away unexpectedly, too, just six days later at 37 years old. I just wanted to get your your uh, your comments on him, what it meant having him on your podcast, and, and just him as a person. Obviously, you knew him. He was on your show.
0: Whew. I mean, it's such a small, small snapshot into who Therese is as a human, but, like, I mean, here he is you know, the preeminent Kansas City Chiefs expert. You know, he covered the team at the Kansas City Star. He he gets that big national job at Yahoo and does just some phenomenal stories on the Chiefs and Alex Smith, Grumman, Mahomes. And he breaks the Alex Smith trade to uh, to Washington. I can still remember where I was. I mean, I was in Minneapolis for the Super Bowl that week. With, my wife was out there. We're at the the indoor roller coasters, you know, at the mall. When, when Terrez broke that strike, I just remember fist pumping because I was so excited for him because it was just – just awesome because he deserves it. He busts his ass. He works harder than anybody. But, yeah, sorry, back to that snapshot. I mean, so he's the busiest guy in the world, right, covering the Super Bowl, getting ready for it. And, I mean, I just figured I'd ask him if he wants to come on our podcast, shoot him a text, instantly gets back, instantly says he'll make time, drops everything he's doing, makes time, joins us for a half hour to talk about the Chiefs and the Super Bowl and all that, you know, in in pure Therese fashion, just bringing the juice, you know, bringing that passion. And, and sure. insight, it was phenomenal. Um, I mean, to me, the, there's just those those two parts to Therese, you know, and there's the there's the unbelievable reporter who will not be outworked. I mean, he worked for everything he got in his career. I mean, I saw it up close. We were at the Senior Bowl together. We're at the Combine. I think we met at the Senior Bowl in maybe 12 or 13. We we're both, you know, a couple young guys starting on the NFL beat and I, so he, he he's got that work ethic in a time where maybe a lot of contemporaries don't and are kind of living in that Twitter sphere we talked about earlier he he, he has that but more than that he's just an unbelievable person I mean he, he is that kind of guy who would stop everything he's doing to talk to a friend and it, it, when you're at these events like and you see therese he's just got this glow about him where you want to go up to him give him a big bear hug throw back a beer or two and just catch up on life and that that's what's so sad to me. I mean, his life. I mean, he 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 was engaged. Um, you know, he had the job that he had, a dream job. His podcast was amazing. It's, uh, I mean, we just lost him too soon. It's just not fair. And the more I think about it, you know, you're you're happy. You think back at those good times and the love and the good times
1: you had with somebody, and then
0: then you get pissed because it's like we lost him too soon. We shouldn't lose a good, great person like Therese Paler.
1: Yeah, it's just uh, it, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, Another guest, this is going to be a a different vibe for me here. Dante Whitner obviously was of interest to me. Let me say this. How did you land him? Because I don't like the dude. I despise him. And anyone who knows me or knows the situation knows that more on that in a second. But I'm going to give you some props because that's, again, a good rare score, especially in the Buffalo market. I literally never hear from him. How did you get him on your podcast?
0: Well, first of all, I had I had no idea about your beef with with Dante Winner. We talked a little before we hit record, so I'll just reiterate that that. Uh, sorry, sorry, Pat, did, didn't know about that. I, 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 I should have done fair. my homework a little a little bit. Right? And I and- told
1: you off the record. I told <laughs> you off the record. If I could get Dante Whitner on this podcast tomorrow, I'd get him on because listeners like to hear from people like him. Yeah, good or bad, it's kind of like wrestling. You need the good guys and you need the bad guys. It makes for an interesting TV. Well, in this case, podcasting. But anyway, how did you land him? Because that's a really good score.
0: I'll try to broker that too, by the way. We can try to, we can figure that out. Because I <laughs> okay. he was, uh, <laughs> when I started Go Long, you know, in late November, um, during the season, uh, a, a big thing I did was like uh, just a and a with a former player. And, you know, like a throwback Thursday type of deal. And so he was the first player that I had for that. And I, I want to say I reached out, to him, I think, I think it might have even been LinkedIn. Honestly, we were just connected on there from way back when; don't even remember when. And shot him a message, and I think that's kind of what started the dialogue. And he actually does some work uh, media-wise with a buddy of mine in the business, uh, Noah Kozlov, who ran ran Cinesport, which did videos with beat writers at newspapers around the country. So when I was at the Journal Sentinel, me and Noah. Would you know break down the games and we would put it up on our site? They put it up on theirs. I, I sports not around anymore, but I, I, I don't know what works with them, um, with media stuff, and so kind of revved up a conversation there simultaneously. And Dante was all about coming on, just sharing old war stories from his playing days. And you know, what's weird, like with the Buffalo stuff, you know, that all went with you. I, I it went down when I was living in Green Bay, so I mean, granted, I maybe. I should have been a little more plugged into the Twitter sphere to realize like you guys had that skirmish. But when I came back, you know, back home to Western New York, I just got the sense that fans didn't really like him for some reason. And I didn't really know why. I guess there's multiple reasons why, as I've learned since. But um, yeah, I guess, you know. There are
1: multiple reasons, Yes.
2: There's multiple there's reasons.
1: Let me. I'm going to tell you what. I want to play a clip from your interview with Dante, a small clip. And I want to tell people right now, again, just, I just use wrestling as an example. It's a great get to have on the show. It's just like, you need the bad guys. You need the good guys. <laughs> I want to play this clip. And this is one of more reasons than I could count, but this is one of them. Why I have issues with somebody like Dante Winder. But anyway, this is a clip from the go long podcast recently when uh Ty had Dante Winner is a guest. Here's that clip.
0: They come after you. I I don't know what what the deal is, but I don't know if you want to set the record straight. you want to talk? No,
1: what happened was I was dating a girl
2: in Buffalo, and her name was Alexis, and her daddy used to play for the Buffalo Bills, a linebacker, uh, 58. He played with uh, Bruce Smith and all of them. He was a... uh, middle linebacker. I forget Conner? his name. Shane Carmen? No, no, no. A black guy. Um man, what is his name? Tally. Daryl oh. Tally. Was he Daryl Talley? He was 56, right? 56, Tally. All
1: right, man. So listen, you are the eighth overall pick. You are drafted to this organization. You're supposed to be a leader. You're supposed to be a captain. You're supposed to represent this organization. Are you going to seriously tell me? And he spent five years in Buffalo. You're going to tell me that this dude doesn't even know who Daryl Talley is or what number he wore or that he was a middle linebacker with the team. Get out of here with that bullshit, man.
0: It might have been a dancing around the
1: question type of deal, too. Uh... Dude, listen, this is my beef with Dante Whitner, and it goes back a decade, what, almost a decade now. He he was, first of all, it's not his fault. He was a top eight pick, okay? I never, and many people didn't think he was a, a a top eight pick, but whatever. Played five full seasons with the Bills. He had five interceptions of five years, two sacks, three forced fumbles, and publicly, which, whatever, okay? But he publicly would talk so much. He guaranteed the Bills are going to make the playoffs in 2008. He expected to be paid like a top safety. His stats weren't there. And, you know, he he always had an excuse. Again, people, go listen to Ty's podcast. He ran off even on your excuse after excuse or thing after thing. Every he listed all these safeties that made the Pro Bowl who played with him. Well, why didn't you make the Pro Bowl then? It's just, (laughs) he's just, and he was so sensitive. And by the way, again, I just consider that highly disrespectful to Daryl Talley. I know. But anyway, Ty, to tell you quickly um <laughs> the story, which in hindsight is kind of funny. I had my blog, Buffalo Sports Daily at the time, and I wrote some unflattering things about his play, because frankly, he was not an impact player. And you know these guys, they could they say that they don't read anything, which they're full of shit, because they do. And he went at me. I didn't challenge this dude to no beef. He challenged me to a fight. He wanted to box me. For charity. So, and this was in the off season of 2010, which he would, um, that was his last year with Buffalo or in January of, t- of 2011, I should say. He challenged me to fight. And I came back at him and I said, you're on. And to make it funny as a joke, I can't even run around the block, let alone train to fight. Are you kidding me? I can't fight. Dante would never kill me. But anyway, <laughs> I had got Joe Macy. I talked to Joe Macy on the phone and I said, we're going to have some fun with this. So I talked to Joe and he agreed to, and I'm using air quotes here. We're doing audio, not video. But I said, Joe agreed to train me as a joke. We were going to make this compilation of phony Rocky videos, (laughs) like where I'm in the gym, having a heart attack after 20 seconds. But I was down. Dante's agent at the time squashed it. He said, this ain't happening. But yeah, he challenged me what he didn't tell you on the podcast. He also went at it with Daryl Talley on Twitter. I know Tim had words for him at some point and he just always went back at fans. He's one of those players who, when a fan tweets criticism, he, he would just, he'd give it back to them even worse, which in some ways is fair. And look, Ty, I'm not disrespecting players who play in the NFL. I have a couple friends, that I, at least I consider them friends, very close friends of mine who play in the NFL, right, man? So I know how talented you gotta be, how special you gotta be, the commitment, the sacrifice, everything it takes. But this guy is quite literally the biggest excuse maker that has ever played for this franchise. And to not even know, like I said, I don't know if he was doing that on purpose, playing for the microphone or whatever, but to play it all, you didn't even know who Daryl Talley was, what number he was, or what position he plays. Just tells you a lot about the kind of character he was when he was in Buffalo. Anyway, sorry for that, rant. Well, I'm It was I'm a good interview you had with him.
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm upset with you, though, Pat, because, you know, back then and around, I think it was around oh seven oh eight was when I ran that, uh, the bills site on scout.com. I mean, think about it. If, if we could have brokered a big Moran Whitner brawl for the site that, and, <laughs> and, and, and really kept that thing humming. I mean, what a missed opportunity to, I think maybe, maybe, maybe that was right after I left scout during college. I, I can't remember, but uh, yeah, you know, the, the excuse thing. Um, I mean, hey, maybe it's justified excuse or not. Like his explanation of, his time in Buffalo and it wasn't like he was a outright bad player, but like you said, eighth overall pick. You expect no, wasn't impact bad. in Pro Bowls and playoff appearances. I mean he he really strongly, strongly, strongly believes he was completely misused in that scheme as somebody like just way off the ball from what I remember and not, you know, kinda yeah. just Tackling people twenty yards downfield because of the scheme.
1: He talked about that on your show. He, yeah. he had a lot of blame for Perry Fuel on your podcast. Again, if people, if Bills fans, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to the interview because whether you like him or not, it, it was a very good interview. But I'm sorry to cut you off.
0: No, no, it's that's that's it. I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, it's um. I, I find I found him really interesting, and he he definitely. When he left Buffalo and went to San Francisco, I mean, he he played the game a pretty violent way. I mean, he had some big hits, and I mean, at the end of the day, that's why he you know had to retire and leave the NFL. The game changed, the safety position changed, all of that. And I, I will say, when it comes to just kind of breaking the game down, um, I thought at least with our podcast when we were talking about this, uh, the the playoffs and whatever we were talking about, I mean, he was super specific and and I had a good explanation. But I got to say, Pat, I, I've learned a lot more. Since that pod, and I understand <laughs> why the city of Buffalo is not necessarily much of a fan of Dante Whitner. I can I can I can see that now.
1: Well, and it's not just because he didn't win, which is again right. It's a long that. laundry list of bullshit. Because I'm gonna tell you what: Brian Mormon and guys like uh, Stevie Johnson and Fletcher and Spikes and Aaron Showell—they were all part of those drought years that didn't win shit either. They never got to the playoffs. And fans like them just fine. So Yeah, there's you know
0: what? That's weird. I used to do a whole podcast, Pat, like, on the drought and like how like players are freaking beloved by Bills fans that were on these teams that all they did was lose. I mean, it's like player I mean, fans love a lot more players than they loathe a lot of players from that era in team history. I mean it is it says a lot about the fan base, doesn't it?
1: It does. <laughs> Almost to a fault. I'm like, all right, man. Like, I could (laughs) see maybe not liking some of these players when you root for and pour all your money and your heart and your emotional investment into this team year after year for 17 years, and they feel it feels like they give you nothing back in return except a bunch of six, five, six, and seven win seasons. But yeah, my point was these players, and you described it perfect. They were very well liked. Um, It is what it is. But anyway, go check out that interview, and, and like I said, the podcast is doing really good. And you guys do something completely different. It's a perspective that I really enjoy a lot before I, before I let you go, I, I want to spend a couple minutes at least talking about um, some Buffalo bills. Stuff. So as we tape this on, we're taping this Wednesday, Matt Milano and Darrell Williams are the two biggest Buffalo bills. Question marks when it comes to their own free agents, like, are they going to resign them? They're going to let them walk. Uh, how do you see it playing out with these two guys in their situations? Because again, this is different than the last couple of years where it was just add, add, add. Now the bills do have financial decisions to make because of the salary cap.
0: No doubt. Totally different. You know, you don't just have this money to burn and the cap is, is going down this year with COVID and all that. I, I think the backdrop is, is Josh Allen's contract. Obviously it's going to break the bank and be historic and all of that. I mean, the, the bigger problem would be if you actually had to overthink that one, which they don't. They they can pay him and be pretty comfortable with whatever that dollar amount is is going to be. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're probably going to have to make Stephon Diggs happy. And I know there's three years left on his deal, but I think that he's so good that play, players in the locker room are going to be okay with that exception, you know? I mean, it, I think with most guys, you don't want to set that precedent. With, with players and say, oh, if you've got three years left on your deal, you can ask for more money. Well, Diggs is arguably the best wide receiver in football, so I think that's okay. So like, that's going to be a lot of money as well at some point, just like Allen. All right, so how much do you really have to throw around? Uh, I feel like they they absolutely need a pass rusher. I'm getting your question, I promise. like I, they, they got to get somebody who, who scares you up front. They don't have that guy. I mean, Jerry Hughes is, is pretty good, but he ain't getting younger, and he can't be your number one threat off the edge. Other than that, Ed Oliver, I, I think you, you start to get a little worried about where he's at in his development. It's going to be a huge year for him yep. next season. Um, Harrison Phillips hasn't really given you anything um, inside. And I mean, Trent Murphy, obviously, he's done. AJ Epines is young. I mean, he uh, not that promising of a rookie year. I, I would go free agency if I'm the Bills. I would go with a proven guy, and on the open market, it's mostly situational edge rushers. So you're not unless they go JJ Watt and hope he's got you know two three year, years left. I mean the Ngakwe's, the Bud Dupree's, the Ingrams, the Judons. Um, I think that even even as situational guys, it's probably worth paying up for one of these guys because you saw how important. Just getting pressure on Patrick Mahomes is, and that's got to be the bar. Fans don't like to hear it. You got to think of the Chiefs and Mahomes with every decision you make because you're going. I mean, you've got a team that can win the division. That's 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 proven. I mean, you're the team to be in the AFC East. But is that the goal year in year out? The goal should be to get past Kansas City. You got to find a proven dude to get after Mahomes. You probably need to keep replenishing talent in the draft on offense. I mean, the best offenses of this generation. That's what they did. They constantly were drafting guys. You know, whether that's a running back like, uh, I don't know, Najee Harris, ETN, somebody, maybe another receiver, do it. Keep adding guys. Play with your pedal to the metal. That's who you are. That's your identity. And so where does that leave you with with Milano, Der Williams I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't overspend for Milano myself because, look, you saw in that AFC Championship game, as, as great as Milano makes his defense up, up to that game, as, as great as he made them and they play better with him on the field, what did Travis Kelsey do? He ate his lunch. I mean, he went to town like it was domination, it seemed to me. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if I'm paying that guy, you know, 15, 16 mil, even if it's the franchise tag. Um, Darrell Williams, I mean, the the offensive line and keeping Josh Allen upright is super important, so I'd, I'd be more tempted to, you know, allot money there. And I would just, you know, hope and pray Tremaine Edmonds you know, ascends and takes a step that can go one of two ways. We don't really know yet. And then try to find another linebacker. But I guess in in a nutshell, if I'm running the Buffalo Bills, that's what I do. And Hey, if people want to check it out, they can subscribe to go along. So we just broke it all down. this week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, the pass rushing thing is dead on because I, I'll tell you what, well, Baltimore, they, they did well again in Lamar Jackson and, and getting pressure. But the Kansas City Chiefs game was frustrating. Even the Indianapolis game that they won in the first round was frustrating. Phillip Rivers had a pretty big day and mm-hmm. really didn't get any pressure. And even though, again, the Bills were, hey, this is a 13-3 and football team. But that said, the pass rush was not good this year. I'm really glad that you hit on some guys specifically too because Ed Oliver, Tremaine Edmonds, A.J. Epinesa, I think that the defense is going to improve next year because, again, They're not just going to be able to add a bunch of talent. Hopefully they can find a pass rusher in free agency, though. But these young guys are going to have to play better. Ed Oliver, specifically, is an interesting case. And it's one of those things that I follow on social media. It's tough to make a defensive tackle because, Ty, you you know this. The stats don't look good, but they also don't always tell the story. And Mm -hmm. people who defend Ed Oliver constantly will say that. You know, you can't just look at the stats. He gets double teamed a lot, this and that, and that's fair, and I agree, but at the same token, the best defensive tackles in the league, guys like Aaron Donald and DeForest Buckner, these guys, get they get Chris Jones, they get double teamed plenty, and they make impact plays. Ed Oliver's not making impact plays, at least not ones that I'm seeing anyway, so he goes into year three, and yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, he just needs to be better. What about the other side of the ball? Because the, the offense is very good, but... It's like the Bills could stand to improve at tight end and running back. Do you see anything significant at these positions? Or do you see more signings like we've seen the past few years, like maybe veteran signings, like say a Frank Gore, T.J. Eldon type, or maybe a Tyler Croft at tight end. You think they're going to put a lot of trust going forward next year into Dawson Knox at tight end and Singletary Moss at running back, or you think they're going to look to upgrade that?
0: I think they got to upgrade just my personal opinion, you know, I think kind of baked into all of this too, Pat is like, they got to draft better. I mean, when you're, I mean, you see this every team, when they pay the quarterback, like it just magnifies every decision you make in the draft a hundred times. Like you can't afford to miss and they might've missed with that Oliver. You can't afford to miss with a top 10 pick. Not now you really can't afford to miss with your second and third rounders, even your fourth rounders. I mean, you're going to have to find starters, in those rounds with regularity when you pay up for Allen and pay digs and, and maybe find a pass rusher, all this kind of stuff. So like, Ooh, yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to make. They've got some really smart people in the front office and I thought Brandon Bean was, you know, super self-aware in his press conference. It seemed like he really recognized all of these challenges ahead, but you know, the track record for their last few drafts, it's, you know, you, I mean, you, when you hit Josh Allen and we can call that a hit, it, it can kind of cover up a lot of other stuff. I mean, that's not a knock, that, that's a good thing. You'd rather have that scenario, but I, you, you can really put a lot of these other picks into question. Now, uh, I think they, they can't afford, you know, more drafts like the last three drafts around the quarterback, or else they'll just kind of be where they are. I mean, they've got to hit, and I think they got to hit on offense to, to your point. I think you have to just keep reloading because Beasley's not getting any younger. I mean, John Brown, that's a contract you can probably get rid of with Gabe Davis coming up. And I, I, I like Zach Moss a lot. I, I think he's a bruiser. I think that if they had a healthy Zach Moss, it at least would have helped in that AFC Championship game to maybe offer another way to play um, in that moment. You know, you only need to run the ball when you need to run the ball in today's NFL. But I'm more so thinking of a threat out of the backfield, You know, somebody who can run but also can run a route out of the slot, but also will not drop the screen pass that Devin Singletary did in the second quarter against Kansas city. They need that kind of weapon and they need a counter because you know that all of these defensive coordinators are going to be studying the hell out of day balls offense and out of Allen's game. You can't come back next year and do exactly the same thing. I think you want to try to score 500 points again and throw it all over the place, but you need to add a wrinkle. That wrinkle could be a guy like Travis, etn i mean out of clemson so i mean i I like him a lot because you saw this past year that he can catch the ball and he can be that threat
1: when it comes to the running back position i I reference a team that you grew up liking and that you as a young adult not that you're an old adult now but (laughs) the green bay packers and they got a pair of running backs due to hit the free agent market now i don't know if the bills can or are willing to spend money in free agency but Aaron Jones or Daryl Williams, either of those guys, to me seem like two guys who could really fit into this organization well, especially being able to catch passes out of the backfield. I'm with you 100% on Zach Moss. I am not a Devin Singletary guy at this point. And I feel like this organization just, I feel like they don't have a lot of confidence in Devin Singletary. He's a very up and down player. I think they could stand to do better than him. And again, do you think it would be a draft or just a low key vet or do you, can you see somebody like maybe Aaron Jones might be a a bit much, but like maybe a Daryl Williams or somebody like that feels like he'd be a good fit for the bills. Man. I think Aaron
0: Jones is probably going to come way, way too pricey for the bills and for a lot of teams. I think that's why a deal hasn't happened in green Bay. Just kind of talking to some people, you know, familiar with that negotiation. I mean, he, he fired Lee Steinberg and Chris Cabot as agents. I mean, he got rid of them because he you know, he he felt like he, you know, they weren't doing the job, like he wants to get a bigger deal somewhere else. And and Green Bay's just not gonna do it. I mean, that's that that's been the way they've kind of operated for a long time. You know, back to the early, early days of Ted, God rest his soul, Ted Thompson. I think he, he let Amon Green hit the market and he went to Houston. He didn't really do anything with Ryan Grant after that. Um they just they kind of like cut bait at a certain point, and I, not that Aaron Jones is getting up there in years, but I, I, they don't want to spend a lot of money to a smallish running back. I think they're going to be a lot more. Pro, uh, I, mean, I think what the, I think what they'll probably do, they'll probably they'll probably re-sign Jamal Williams. Uh, they'll probably find a, a dollar amount for, for him, and they just drafted AJ Dillon. I mean, they invested a the second round pick. I think they'll, they'll just kind of roll with that and hope that Dillon is kind of like this Derrick Henry light over time. He's a beast. I mean. Ooh, I'm yeah. hoping to do another story with him and it go along this off season because he's, there's not many guys built like him. um for the bills, though, I that's the tricky part, right? I think they they need this weapon. They need this threat, all of that, but you don't want to pay a lot of money for it. So that's where the draft is just
1: perfect. One more Bill's question. Do you think that they can get away with one more off season before they have to give Josh this big contract, or do you think it has Ooh. to come this off season? Boy, I like
0: that question because, um, you know, in my head, I'm like just thinking they got to kind of rush to it, right? I mean, you just got to get it done because, you know, you know what you have and all that. They don't they don't necessarily need to. I just feel like the order of operations for this team and, and kind of where they're at, it just makes a lot of sense to, to get it done because, look, I mean, you don't want to get caught into a position where he starts – the market just keeps going up and up and up. I mean – Somebody else is going to get paid, and that price is just going to keep keep going up. So uh, you see it at every position. I mean, that, look where the Bears are with Allen Robinson, and I I'll have a story up at Go Long this week. There, I, I talked to Allen Robinson this week, and I mean, he wanted to get something done there a year ago. I mean, in the Bears, if they would have just done something then, as opposed to waiting a year, I mean, this is to a much lesser extent at the wide receiver position than they wouldn't be in this position where they're scrambling for a quarterback and scrambling for he's anything so good. they can. Oh, he's so yeah, good. Allen Robinson,
1: he's so good.
0: So if you know that Josh Allen's the answer, just just pay him. You know, I, I don't think they need to wait around any longer.
1: All right. Last question, I'm going to let you go. And this is not a Bills question. NFL question. Um, and this is aimed down here where I'm at in Florida and these shitty bandwagon fans down here. <laughs> um, Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl in absolutely dominating fashion. They decimated Kansas City. I think there were plenty of people who thought Tampa could win, but I don't think anybody saw that coming. But anyway, here's my question. Tom Brady, does he get, and again, this is, I know this is going to come off as me being a Bills fan slash Tom Brady hater, but that's not the intention of the question. This is a legitimate question for a legitimate Sports journalists like yourself. Do you think Tom Brady is getting too much credit for this Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Because I do. This is all about the defense, not just in the Super Bowl. This was a really good defense all year. I'm not trying to say the guy don't deserve any credit, but it's like Tom Brady, this Tom Brady, that Tom Brady, the goat, all this, this and that. Watch ESPN every morning, all these talk shows. And it's always 95% Ninety-five percent about Brady and five percent about the defense, and it, it just bothers me. Maybe, but maybe I'm wrong again. Maybe I am more jaded than I gave myself credit for, and I just hate the guy because I'm so you know I'm a Bills fan. I just hate Tom Brady. Do you feel like he's getting too much credit, or do you feel like all this credit is deserved? Like, what's your stance when it comes to Tom Brady and the credit that he gets for winning a Super Bowl again this year?
0: No, I, I think you're right. I mean, that's. That's the column I wrote out of the Super Bowl. Basically, like we're going to talk about Tom Brady for weeks, for months, for years. And I mean, this this Super Bowl will, will be remembered for Tom Brady, and it's going to be. I think he ju- he justifiably even won Super Bowl MVP. I think that that award is as much a uh, big picture about than is the, the game itself. I mean, that the fact that at forty three he went to a new team and they went from seven to nine to Super Bowl champs. He threw forty touchdowns. He he, he, he proved that it was probably him in new England more than Belichick in new England. I, I think it's, uh, you know, symbolic as much as anything, in addition to having a really good game, but I mean, I don't even have a problem with that, but like the you're right. The reason that they won the game when people actually turn on the film of that game of each playoff win against Washington, new Orleans and green Bay, it's the defense. I mean, it's, and you know what's wild too? I don't think Todd Bowles necessarily did necessarily did anything too different than Buffalo. Like it's not like he was blitzing and disguising and doing all kinds of crazy stuff to confuse Mahomes. Like their D line just beat the shit out of Kansas yeah. City's O line. Like one on one, I know Kansas City was beat up, whatever. Like it didn't matter if it was Barrett, JPP, Sue, Golson, whoever. Like they Vita Vance, like they just beat up Kansas City one on one and relentless, relentlessly pressured Mahomes. He ran for, what, 500 yards before his passes and sacks? Um, that's the defense. They won that game because that defense turned Patrick Mahomes into a different quarterback than we'd seen all season, all career.
1: I'll tell you, that's a really, I'm glad you brought that up about Bulls as well because, yeah, that was just a defensive line that just kicked the hell out of <laughs> yeah. the backup Kansas City Chiefs. It, it wouldn't matter, Mahomes... Johnny Unitas, Montana, nobody was going to have success. And yeah, Tom Brady also, and he also deserves credit because there are some players who came to Tampa because of Tom Brady, Gronk, mm-hmm. Antonio Brown, Fournette, and they all scored in the Super Bowl. So I'm not dismissing him as saying he doesn't deserve credit. He certainly does. But again, I've been down there for five years now, and I am kind of forced to follow Tampa Bay. They had a good football team. They just had a quarterback who would throw 30 interceptions a year, you know? But anyway, going back to the playoffs, Green Bay, dude, he threw three interceptions in the second half against Green Bay, New Orleans, he threw for under 200 yards. He just was the lesser of two evils because Drew Brees was just horrific that game. It just, I don't know. It bothers me to uh, just see him getting all the credit and not enough for the Tampa, especially the front seven, just absolutely dominant and superb. You know what? I lied. I got one more question. This <laughs> offseason, not the bills, obviously, because that would be too obvious. Name me a team that you think is close and that you're really looking forward to following and seeing what kind of moves they make in the offseason because you think they're a team that maybe they're not quite there yet, but they can be with another good offseason.
0: Yeah, you got to really look at those Texans down at Houston. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. That What a train that team.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> But it is related to that. I think the team that... Man, I mean, right down there near you, Pat. I mean, the Miami Dolphins. This is such a crucial, crucial off season for them. I mean, they've got to decide if if Tua Tagliola, Tagaiola. I, I, I still can't reel that off the tip of my tongue. Yeah, I, I just say Tua. <laughs> yeah, I know. I wanted to try. Um, <laughs> you know, if they've got to decide if he's the answer or not, because I mean, you've got an opportunity. Potentially. I mean, right, right now, Nick Casario, Jack Easterby, whoever's running the show there in Houston, I mean, they're saying that they're not going to trade to John Watson and he's under contract. And da, 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 da. Well, i tell you what, Watson ain't going to budge. I mean, I just talked to people in his circle. I mean, he is genuinely dug in. He's as unselfish of a player as you're ever going to meet, which tells you really how, how – deep into this, he is like, he isn't just doing this willy nilly and he's got the money to burn. I think he's okay with some fines if, if it comes to that. And he's just not going to play for him because he feels lied to. Um, you know, if they would have told him from the get-go, like you're not going to have a say, you know, you're the play. I I don't think he would have thought anything of it, but the fact that they made a point when he signed his contract extension to say, we want you to be a part of the discussion here. We want you to have really helped build this thing up. And have a say if, when it comes to head coach and GM kind of hires. When they told him that, and then they basically ignore him. And you know he's just saying, let's just take a look at Eric Bieniemy. He's not saying hire the guy. Just, just, just take a look at him. And they right. don't even do that. I mean, he's pissed, and and the team stinks. They got nothing. The defense is awful. They've got no running game. They traded away DeAndre Hopkins like. It's it, there's a lot going on, so I totally get him wanting to get out of there. And I think it behooves Houston to get a bounty of draft picks for him. They're not going to win anytime soon. You might as well just you know try to stockpile some young talent there and, and rebuild. And Nick Casario, apparently, you know Matt Miller reported, um, you know he's another guy who was at BR and, and he started his own sub stack as well. And Nick, Nick Casario loved Tua coming out of college. So, I mean, it just makes too much sense, right? Tua, the third overall pick. Give him that pick back, but they gave up for Tunsell. Give him the 18 overall pick. Hell, give him a first round next year. Whatever it takes to get Deshaun Watson. I think if you're Miami, you've got to be willing to make the strongest possible push ever for a truly generational talent in Deshaun Watson because you have a promising defense that's a really healthy blend of young players and vets that you signed, Kyle Van Noy. Byron Jones, check Lawson. They've got some guys there. And, uh, and offensively, I mean, they probably need another receiver, maybe even a back. I mean, maybe you sign Aaron Jones. That's a team that probably would take that kind of chance, but there's enough of a nucleus there and they've got the coaching and the management to. I think that they could be a sneaky contender next year if they found a way to get Watson, but I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath though too, Pat, because I mean, you saw it as well. What did they do out of that Raiders game where to a stunk, and Ryan Fitzpatrick saved the day. They instantly announced that Tua was going to start the next week. And I know Fitz got on the COVID list and all that, but I don't know. I mean, I, I get it. Like, you, you want you, – this was your pick. You want to develop him. You want to surround him with talent. You want to do all that. In some instances, you kind of know if he has it or not. There are a lot – this isn't me talking. I'm speaking for scouts around the league. There are a lot of scouts around the league who just don't see it in Tua and think that he'll never get it, that he's just going to kind of play small and he's just kind of a check down, play action, dump off guy that will never. He's he is small. Any plays small that will never be a franchise quarterback. So if you've got an opportunity to get Watson, you get it. Do everything you can to get him.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you this: um, if they get Watson, it then Tua doesn't really matter anymore. But you know how in Buffalo, it's always uh, what if when it comes to Mahomes. As much as Bills fans hate it it's just the way it is because the Bills could have had him. How about Miami? I mean, literally one pick after Tua, Justin Herbert went cool. to the Chargers. And we've seen the talent that he had last year as a rookie. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Miami's a good team, too, because even if they don't get him, two ends up being all right. I mean, they got plenty of cap room. They got talent. And they got four picks, like, in the first 40 or 50, something like that. So, they got tons of ammunition. And if it's not Deshaun Watson – and to, they decide to was not the guy. There are other good quarterbacks out there that they have tons of ammunition to, to trade for, even if it's not him. But yeah, good pick. Anyway, give Tyler a uh, follow on Twitter at Ty Dunn. Go check out golongtd.com. Subscribe. So worth it. Of course, check out the podcast as well. That's my favorite part about what you do. Because again, I'm a <laughs> podcaster at heart. So I love your show, man. My man, this was a lot of fun. Three years I've been doing this now. Couldn't think of a better guest to have for that to celebrate than you. So big thanks, my man.
0: Thank you, Pat. Man, that was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me. Congrats to you. I'm going to listen to your pod even more than I do. Take notes. Watch the film. Study up and improve our show. I mean, that was that was great. Thank you. And hey, I don't I don't think I've had a chance to congratulate you as a dad with with your son, right? I think I saw that on on Facebook, right? He,
1: he, yeah, he's. He's going to uh, Clarion uh, U- University play, awesome. play at, uh, Pennsylvania. By the way, might bring me back up home. We'll see. My That's right. That's so what I like man. to hear. We're not
0: too far from Clarion.
1: All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for this episode. Very special. Thank you again. My man, Tyler Dunn. Make sure you check out His subscription-based newsletter, Go Long with Tyler Dunn, seven bucks a month, 70 bucks for a year. Easiest money you'll ever spend if you're serious about reading quality sports journalism. And of course, check out the podcast. He does so good with that. Again, thank you very much, Tyler. It is always a huge thrill to have you on my little show here. And speaking of, if you have not yet subscribed out there, please go ahead and do that right now rating review, all that fun stuff. It really helps me continue to grow this show. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio. I don't know why I'm naming them because we're pretty much everywhere. Anywhere major podcasting platforms are, you'll find this one. So go ahead and subscribe, follow us on YouTube as well. Talk about Flow podcasts podcast YouTube channel. I'm gonna have highlight clips from current and past episodes, some original content coming there soon. Then, of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Tweets. I am constantly on Twitter, almost to the point where I actually annoy myself. I'm on there so much, but podcast updates, promos, upcoming guests, sports talk, music talk, TV talk, whatever, you name it, at Tweets. and thank you so much. I end the podcast the same way. It might sound boring after a while, but I have to because it means that much to me. I am so appreciative and so humbled to everyone tunes into this podcast. It really means a lot to me. It does. So thank you very much. Stay safe. Have a very good weekend. And I will be back with a brand new show. We'll start year number four of this podcast next Tuesday.